0: 24th, and you're listening to the Grains Matter, Tatter Podcast, Grains. I'm your host, Dolores Foster. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Jeffrey Guy. Yes, I'm
1: not alone this week. It's good to have you back to
0: Yes, it's good to be back, Jeffrey. And we have some very special guests on the podcast today. We have Paul and Mike Sullivan from PT Sullivan Agro. Welcome, you guys.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Glad to be here.
0: We're glad to have you guys back.
1: Returning guests, Well, at least Paul's returning. The
0: Paul's returning—that's great. We need some fresh, uh, a fresh voice so we convince Mike to come on. So.
1: A younger voice—I'll yeah. try.
0: <laughs> so, Paul, last time you were here, we talked about uh, fall tillage, and uh, I think today we're going to talk a little bit about some fertilizer. I think that's a hot topic, right, it is. with prices yeah. and everything.
2: Yeah, I think we kind of trying to framework around. Fertilizer strategies in light of continued <clears throat> high or the same prices in 2023 as 2022. Sure.
0: Yeah. So so what's the answer? <clears throat> Pull it back? Do more? What?
1: So fertilizer is still expensive.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Yes, it it
2: is. The reality, though, which you guys know really well, is the crop prices are high. So the margins between prices and inputs is still fairly attractive. So that's a good thing. But if we're gonna do anything with soil fertility, we have to really go back to what is in the soil, what the soil fertility levels are are like. So that's where uh, we can't really do a calculated change until we have a soil test. I know you're a big fan of cost of production,
1: it's on our website, cost of production. Yeah, cost of
2: production. I think you bring that up every time we talk, <laughs> right?
1: So <clears throat> I'm going
2: to start to bring up soil tests. And it's basically, you know, they're comparable because they give you an indication of where you're at for a certain point in time. And so phosphorus and potash, particularly uh, some of the micronutrients, soil pH, um, If we've got good current and, and representative soil test information. So what
1: what is current? How often do you have to do soil testing?
3: uh Usually, a good rule of thumb is uh, every three years, um, keep in rotation to uh, keep them current. Uh, Keeps up with your crop removals from the previous seasons, as well as uh, pH, especially in our area.
0: Do you think it's more crucial to maybe increase that time frame now that prices are that much higher?
3: You
1: mean decrease
3: the time frame?
0: Yeah, I mean test more often.
3: In certain cases, maybe uh, it, it can be. Uh, big benefit we've seen is uh, soil tests over the years. So we have a history of every three years or two years in some cases or four when it gets off. But see how that soil changes over time to what we've done to it. So whether it's uh, high crop removals or reducing fertility, we can see how it reacts to what we've done uh, in the field. Are
1: are soil tests showing uh, that we've had bigger crops? There's more removal of nutrients out of there?
2: The one interesting trend we saw last fall in soil testing, summer and fall, was that our soil pHs have have been declining, which is actually an indication of higher crop yields because everything is happening more in the soil. And when that goes on, it's an acidifying process. You take off more calcium and magnesium. There's more mineralization of nitrogen, which is acidifying whole bunch of kind of reactions that, and, and in, in this part of, of Ontario, our soils tend to, the pHs drop. Western Ontario, there's high pHs. Uh, pHs are like high calcium levels. In this area of Ontario, through a lot of the Ottawa Valley, pHs uh, are are on the mid six to lower. And we used to bring pHs up to um, certain level thinking that was okay for a crop. But now understanding a whole lot of reactions in the soils, um, before it was bringing it up to make nutrients available. Now it's bringing it up for the proper level for whole slow biology to act. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the scenario on what we're seeing. Um, we're, we're hoping they're not declining. If they are, we're not doing, we're not doing our job. Um, or, or maybe somebody isn't following our recommendations, and they're skipping on putting on that potash we recommended in the phosphorus, which is fair. That's
1: so. Are your recommendations getting more fertilizer? Putting more fertilizer on now, like generally speaking, if we have bigger crop yields.
3: Generally speaking, uh, some are, some aren't. It it all it does all go back to that soil test. So if we see um, a soil test, that's at a non-limiting level for, uh, or a non-responsive level, um, we can kind of ride with that. So it's almost like we've got um, fertility in the bank that, you know, we've got, we're at a level where we're not responsive. We can hold out on this year and see, um, use that nutrients that we have. We're not trying to pull those tests down per se, but um, take advantage of those nutrients you've already applied previously. And, Allocate those dollars to something else. um, I
1: like that on the non-responsive and the first part you said the non-limiting. So that's the other end of it, where you need the more fertilizer on them.
2: Yeah, really, soil test tells us if 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 there's going to be a response to fertilizer, or in other words, if you don't put fertilizer on, uh, things are going to not go ahead as they should. And it, that becomes a stress in itself, and it's no different than weeds. Weeds in the crop are stress. That's why we take them out. Fertilizer, not putting on fertility, say potash when it needs it, is a stress. So that and and kind of looking at the last two years locally had some pretty high yields. We've had really three years worth of crop removal in two, which is we hard hard to you know it's hard to really. Um, convince our customers that you know you should be putting on three years worth of potash when prices are double or more than double but that's been taken off so if we actually <clears throat> and, and and it's not as if we understand that that uh, all other inputs have gone up too but we need to recognize that somewhere along the lines we have to make for that up and i think the uh thing is that looking forward right now, you know, we, we see reports on Twitter and things like that. The fertilizer prices are dropping, but that's the replacement value for the fertilizer that we'd be looking for in 2024. So I, I think there will be a time that if we look at scaling down slightly or have scaled down last, last year, that potash is always cheaper in the fall. You know, whether it's at twelve hundred dollars a ton, or eight hundred or six hundred, it'll be always a hundred to hundred fifty dollars a ton cheaper to put it on in the fall. So, I, I anticipate, you know, not that I know anything about fertilizer prices because we don't sell fertilizer. That, we we need to do some makeup this coming fall.
0: What's the difference between putting the potash in the fall and in the spring? Like, do you lose some of that? No, over the winter, no. So no. it's not the same as.
3: No potash is. Uh, it's, it's soluble but it's a very binding nutrient so it'll bind to our cations in the soil so um, it is uh, a very it's a safe product to apply in the fall we're not going to lose it like we lose uh, say nitrogen mm-hmm. um, through leaching or uh, runoff or even phosphorus in, in that sense as well so um, the fod- or potash is something or potassium is something that applying in the fall to build your soil tests can be Good in the fact that you're, you're getting that nutrients on, but it's also managing your workload. Uh, you can apply in the fall and not have that potash <laughs> to spread in the spring.
1: So did I, just here as a farmer, I don't have to put potash on this spring? I'm going to wait till fall?
2: Oh, uh, you have good soil test information to base that decision.
1: Oh, good answer. Fair <laughs>
2: <high>. <laughs> and the one thing about, uh, <laughs> we talk about building soil fertility, there's... Pretty good recent research in Ontario in the last ten years that would suggest, at certain soil test values—20 for phosphorus, 124 for potash on an average silt loam to silty clay loam soil—is where um, soil fertility isn't going to limit uh, corn and soybeans. So that those numbers exist, and and those are numbers that we work work around. If we've got a hundred and you know. 120, we know that potash, we still make it a response to potash, but it might be a, a 1 in 10. Whereas if it's a 60, it's like, it's a 9 out of 10. And that might be 20 bushels of corn and
1: 7 bushels of beans. So we're, we're going to say in here that we're, okay, we're agreed. We, we got to put the nutrients back in, the P and K, some micros, whatever, for... That our crops are taking out, but nitrogen now. So, nitrogen for our big corn crops. You know, am I putting enough nitrogen on for four ton or five ton now?
0: And are we going to be limited in the future to do that?
2: Yeah, uh, d- definitely, definitely uh, uh, questions that come up. Um, so, <clears throat> there's a yield uh, relationship to nitrogen applied the more uh, yield that comes off the field the more nitrogen that is needed so that, it, that exists um, if you're aiming for a four ton crop um, versus a five ton versus a six um, there's a proportional difference in nitrogen needs for those crops the, uh, the thing <coughs> that we have to remember with nitrogen is that generally it's kind of a 60 40. some years we get 60 percent of the nitrogen for the crop out of the soil other years, it's 40 or 50%. So, a bushel of corn, typically we apply nitrogen at twenty pounds of nitrogen. That's a real thumb per bushel of corn. But that corn has to take up, and through the processes earlier in the season, uh, 1.6 pounds. So, from that standpoint, there. if we know that we, and, and we are aiming, realistically aiming for 5 ton, then... We want to make sure we don't run that out of nitrogen. And that becomes important when we talk about how much nitrogen can we apply. Are we Are going to apply? Are we going to be limited on applying it? If we have proof and know and, and manage everything to get a 5-ton crop, because just putting on 5-ton worth of nitrogen, whatever that is, you know that could vary from 120 pounds to 200 pounds. Like there could be an 80, depending on everything else that's going on in that particular field. So it's not just the nitrogen, it's the other multi-factor things that are there. But basically, we need to be able to um, try to keep what nitrogen we have applied or are applying going in the soil, going into the plant. And uh, the the new the new world of nitrogen management relates to
3: greenhouse gases. Greenhouse gas emissions. That's a tough one to say. So, in saying that, we're uh, as Delores said, you know, we're not. We're hoping we're not ever limited in uh, applying it, but with some of the uh, extensive research that's been done in Ontario and some of the uh, great industry professionals, we've had a lot of great um, knowledge learned on this topic, and um, through some of the other programs, we've been able to understand. How to use the right for our approach with nitrogen so we're trying to use the right rate uh use the right placement the right timing and um the right product right about right it's uh, right, right 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 yeah we're trying to use the the right thing for the right area and another thing in saying that with nitrogen is in a soil that it in usually in your sweetest soil is where you're uh, your most productive soil is where you're going to have the most uh, nitrogen fixation from the soil that's where a lot of nitrogen is coming from the soil biology and uh, in your tougher soils is where sometimes uh, biology isn't working quite as well and you're uh, you're actually going to need more applied uh, nitrogen in those cases to get the same amount of bushels so your pounds of nitrogen per bushel is higher than your more productive because of uh, the way the soil works and the uh, biology. It's
1: going to be a hard one to get my head around. My weaker soils, I'm going to apply more nitrogen. My better soils, I'm going to apply less nitrogen. But we heard it from the gurus; We know the way it is now. But I have a silly question about nitrogen then. I'm a lazy farmer. I like to put it all up front so I don't have to go back in and do it later. Is that following the four hours? You can tell me no in
2: a true sense of four
1: hours um, you could have the right rate so yes
2: uh, you could have the um, right um, placement so it's in the soil the thing that you may not may not be able to sort of control is um, the, the right uh, um, timing. timing because you may put it all on in the spring It's less than that, then things aren't going right, including the nitrogen cycles. So, yeah, um, yes, yes, and no on that, but generally no. We we probably if you want to work four hour, it, you should be splitting your nitrogen. It probably is the single most. It's the foundation of a four-hour
3: nitrogen program. And in saying that, the um, the other reason or the main reason we would have originally split nitrogen. It gives us that opportunity to manage the season that we've had. So in the growing season, if we're um, pulling a pre-side dress nitrogen test from the soil and we're seeing we've got lower nitrogen levels than we'd expect, we can go in and change that rate so we're not limiting the crop. Or if we've got high, we can reduce the nitrogen rate. It depends on um, manure or previous history of the field or anything like that. But another big factor that comes into it, if you, if you are wanting to go all up front, is there are um, nitrification inhibitors as well as urease inhibitors that um, have been proven to work fairly well, and they slow down the conversion from um, NH three or NH four to NH three and NH three to NH two to reduce the
2: Pools for emissions. That's the nitrogen cycle. That's the next thing you're going to have to remember is the nitrogen cycle. That actually
1: came up with the soil and crop meeting. I remember reading that That's recently. Yeah. So,
0: but the, do these nitrogen uh, inhibitors? What what cost do they come at? Are they more cost effective if then you're not paying or you're not having to run the tractor or whatever through the field again, or or does it make more sense to put it at the right the, time? They
2: are. They are really quite cost-effective probably more cost-effective now because price of nitrogen is ten to thirty a pound it used to be 60-70 cents so they are like buying insurance so uh, when we buy car insurance we hope we don't get into a car accident and we never know when we are going to with the nitrogen we have uh, double the price of the car now so that's the kind of thing that uh, from that standpoint it means it's more important and not to use it now than than in the past, and then as moving forward, we're going to have the whole, I guess, uh, focus on environmental sustainability, impact of agriculture. It's, it's something that just is there. Every industry has to work with. It.
1: Definitely, back in the old days, it was uh, before the four-hour strategy. That extra twenty pounds or ten or twenty pounds of nitrogen was the insurance policy.
3: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's where we, if we move to some of these inhibitors, we've seen some of the research that uh, industry have done that uh, re- not only uh, hold it in place longer, but it reduces the uh, nitrous oxide emissions, which is uh, the main goal of some of these things.
1: So I guess we need to summarize things up here that we're, you need to fertilize to feed the crops. You need to fertilize to, to replenish the soils so you can grow a good crop the next year. Don't be a lazy farmer. Don't be a lazy farmer. (laughs) Follow the four-hour strategies. Be open for advice. And I'll sum it up is your
2: most uh, uh, productive corn is, is your most profitable, but it's also the best for the soil and the environment that's around it. So high yields are the most sustainable crop management that we can do. Practices. So, um, assuming that we're sort of checking all of the stresses, keeping them in check, then the crop that we grow, crop pulls carbon into it, puts it into the soil, the bugs are happy, farmers are happy, and the elevators are happy. And the agronomists, too.
1: So I always thought windy. the low-yield ones were the easiest to sustain. <laughs> no, but everyone every waits. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a few things to think about yeah, this year in the no, tractor. Big right time. Here. So, well, we want to thank you very much for coming. We'll, uh, we'll try to have you back one more time before spring. So we'll maybe get into some foliar feeding or something in that time.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. It was uh,
1: good speaking with you. Thanks for having us.
0: Always great to have some guest speakers on our podcast. Breath of fresh air, eh, Jeff.
1: Oh, for sure. It's nice to hear more than our own voices, and <laughs> hopefully, our little market talk. Now we can keep it short. Today will be as informative as the talk was from uh, P.T. Sullivan Agri. So,
0: <laughs> so yeah. we had a USDA report this week. Um, ended the week here with some red numbers, which isn't
1: scary. We don't scary. like
0: doing that, but uh, anyways, let's see what what happened, Jeff.
1: Well, so the USDA had their egg annual egg outlook conference. Uh, wherever it was this year, and they so in that uh, conference, their chief economist he speaks, and he comes out with some acreage and yield data. So you brought corn in at 91 million acres, that's up from like 87.8 or something this last year. Uh, the biggest thing was though that they put trend yield data on for yields, so that's 181.5 bushels. So they end up producing more if these numbers stay pat be the second largest crop ever they've produced and it will increase their stock so that was negative for prices. On soybeans they left the acres the same at 87.5 million but of course they increased production so they are going to increase uh, their carryout stocks in soybeans also. Weed acres were up some and uh, I can't remember what the average production was on the weed acres but it's they're looking to increase in stocks, but they are tight in weed anyhow. Tight in stock. So bottom line corn was down eleven dollars an old crop eight dollars new crop soybeans actually they were higher earlier this week they were rallying on a few things so they end up up like two three four dollars for the week wheat was a big loser for the week uh, spring wheat down around ten dollars plus winter wheat from between thirteen and twenty dollars down so it was a big red week uh, part of it was the egg outlook part of it was uh, Things keep flowing out of Russia, Ukraine. We should have got some more supportive numbers coming out of Argentina because their crop ratings went down. So it was their crop ratings went down. That should have supported corn and soybeans. Didn't really, didn't bring the prices back. And the the funniest or strangest thing about this week. So this egg Outlook Conference is talking about more production this year. But it put... The nearby prices down more for corn than the harvest prices, so I don't understand it. But that's was the, supposedly the big negative for the week, and that put nearby prices down more than harvest.
0: I think the other interesting thing, too, I was thinking about was for the wheat. Wheat was down big time this week, but. Here in the elevator, all we hear is, do you have any wheat? Do you have any wheat? Oh. So those two things aren't quite adding up. So I, I don't I don't know if that means that the markets are going to change or, or what the deal is. Maybe it's just here local in, in eastern Ontario. but uh,
1: Wheat continues to flow out of Russia and Ukraine, the Black Sea, even though there's lots of talk how both <laughs> sides are going to increase hostilities very soon, hmm. spring offenses, but uh, wheat continues to flow there. That trade agreement is up for renewal next month. There's supposed to be negotiations very soon. Again, it's supposed to automatically renew unless one party says they don't want to. So, Anyhow, we'll see what happens next week. Uh, hopefully, we can get a rebound in price and stuff. And uh, Would be nice. We'll, uh, we'll just see where it goes from here. So.
0: Thanks for uh, tuning in. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.
1: Talk to you next week. Thanks for now. Bye-bye.